Right, Mavis, welcome to episode six of These Little Victories with myself, Jay Fender. Now, before we get into today's pod, I want to let you know that my indie rock band, my sensational indie rock band, Aflex Palace, will be touring the UK in May 2024. We'll be playing Aberdeen, Glasgow, Newcastle, Nottingham, Sheffield, Northampton, London, Bristol and Manchester. So yeah, tickets are on sale now. And you know what? Tickets make sensational Christmas and birthday presents. So grab yourself a couple of them and we'll see you down the front in May. Uh, Also, I run an independent record label that's self-financed. We have a small but perfectly formed roster including artists such as Pastor who supported Liam Gallagher at Nebworth, Vega Rally, whose debut EP just hit number four in the UK vinyl chart, Ava Carlisle, daughter of Robert Carlisle, the actor, uh, my band Aflex Palace, and AJ Gallagher. So yeah, if you're into supporting independent record labels and ventures, uh, and you want to support this podcast, head over to Spirit of Spike Island, where you can... Pick up merch from tees, vinyls, all sorts of bits and bobs. Um, Yeah, and see if anything piques your interest. Now, today's guest is Chesney Hawks, probably best known for his 1991 mega hit, uh, The One and Only. Uh, Now, in the podcast, we discuss many things from what it was like to have a worldwide hit when he was 19, uh, what it was like to write and record his second album with Nick Kershaw, Now, if you're not familiar with Nick Kershaw, his peak was probably in the 80s. He's an artist in his own right. And he had songs like, I won't let the sun go down on me. And wouldn't it be nice to be in your shoes? Anyway, he wrote a second album with that geezer. Uh, We talk about that, his love for West Ham. Many things. Now, Chesney has a huge gig coming up at Kentish Town Forum on the 31st of May next year. Tickets are on sale now, so grab them whilst you still can. And I think he's planning to put out an an album around that time. So follow him on Instagram uh, so he can keep you up to date with that release, etc. But for now, let's get into the podcast and I'll see you on the next one. Nice. You, have you been, you've been doing quite a lot of shows over over the summer, haven't you? How's that, how's that been? Yeah, it's been great. Um, loads of like boutique festivals and stuff. You know, that's been really quite fun. I like I love those little festivals. You know, like kind of like you turn up to a place like you know I think we did one in Moulton in uh, in North Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like community comes together. You know what I mean? And it's like families and kids and everything and. You know, and there's obviously a local boozer doing the boo- doing the beer and stuff. I don't know. It's a- yeah, Mol- Moulton. I, someone was telling me the other day um, that his mother-in-law lives in Moulton, and he was saying that it's quite a foodie kind of place. Yeah, loads of independent food shops. Yeah, he was yeah. Like, the, the food was really good there as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that was called Meadow Fest. That one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but there's loads. Of, there's loads of them cropping up up and down the country. You've probably played them yourself. Yeah, really yeah. I love them. Yeah. It's. I think the thing with festivals is that you don't really have um, the, uh, a pressure on you to 
sell tickets or you know yeah. you, you you get your fee and you turn up and it's all quite <laughs> relaxed and then you go on to a crowd that's already there ready to already up for it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and hopefully there are a few drinks in and you have a yeah. good time you don't take yourself too seriously and also you get to see other bands backstage and you bump into interesting people and it from the crowd and backstage yeah. who want to say hello and um yeah yeah but i like the community spirit of it all like meeting the people that are running it and it's sometimes it's it's often kind of family run and you know there'll be like just people from the community coming together and and you know enjoying an, a day out together you mm. know what i mean mm. i love that side of it yeah have you you support west ham right yes yeah yeah, yeah. Have, you done, have you done much many gigs over there that that uh, that end of town I, I thought you think you did one I thought, i'm sure i saw you doing an interview where it was something to do with west ham was it did you play a oh gig i've done loads of stuff for west ham over the years but the latest one i did was i i played the fan festival in prague ah for the uh oh yeah that is it for the Europa conference league final yeah of course and uh, oh, that was the best Wednesday of all time. Of course. <laughs> it was like more fun you should possibly have on a random Wednesday, you know. Yeah, 25,000 people, claret and blue, bubbles confetti you know it was mad it's brilliant and we did we brought out all the west ham so we really did west ham a massive and the, you know i'm for blowing bubbles and we were doing like songs for because at the time declan rice hadn't left yet so i yeah. did this whole please don't go <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i have my brother on drums uh he's been my drummer since day one so all oh, right he's a you know proper west ham as well and i and i had my son another west ham nuts and uh and my best mate came along as well oh. Uh, for you know, so it was like a proper amazing day, and then we went to the final, and of course, we won it. So it was just like what a moment, yeah, proper. But it's funny when I was in school, um, I went to school in Leeds, and everybody was either Leeds or United, a um, Man United fan, yeah, some York City fans, but primarily it was mostly Leeds fans. Yeah. But there was one kid in my class, shout out Daniel Osborne, all right, Dan, yeah, he he was. He'd come up with his family because his father from Dagenham, his father had got a job up there, and he was best mates with Harry Knapp. Oh, was he? His dad. His dad was very, very friendly oh, with mate. Harry. Redknapp. So he was a hammer then. A massive hammer. Wow. But but this was when West Ham were yeah like, str always struggling up and down yo-yo club absolutely, and they were always at the bottom. And it, because we didn't really have any association with. West Ham and we only saw him at the bottom he used to get rinsed because that's was yeah. when, when Leeds were kind of flying yeah now look at them oh god well they're flying <laughs> sorry Dan yeah <laughs> yeah eat that but um, I, even though we rinsed him I always had an affinity for West Ham after that yeah just because yeah, of sure. Up Upton Park and yeah. you know Julian Dix and Ludwig McCloskey and all yeah. these kind of like players in the 90s and yeah. Tony Cotty coming in and well I mean that was 80s Tony McCotty Tony Cotty and Frank McAvenny and yeah you know, Julian Dix back, as well he? yeah he, he did come back. back yeah 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 exactly. that was more my area where I didn't yeah. see because I the first time I saw Tony Cotty playing was when he played for Everton yeah, of course. And he was banging him in. Yeah, yeah. And then he went amazing. back to West Ham when they had those really massive oversized shirts with Dagging and Motors on them. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. And um, yeah, I yeah, they were always kind of in the Premier League. They were always the second team that I looked to see if they won. Yeah. 
It's funny. I think West Ham's a lot of people's second team. Yeah. Or, or, or kind of like you know, a team that you wouldn't necessarily admit, but but you kind of like a bit of West Ham, you know. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's because their fans are just, they come from a very working class. Yeah, it's a working class. Kind authentic of, background. Yeah, definitely. It, you don't really get glory supporters going to watch them. No, They're there. True. Come rain or shine, yeah, yeah, because they are loyal fans. Whereas with other London clubs, it feels like tourists go to watch them. Oh, completely! Like you know, you, you, Chelsea fans, that, you know, that only came along after uh, Abramovich came along, or absolutely, you know, or Spurs fans that are like, well, they're top of the league, so you know. That, well, this is it. <laughs> and Arsenal's the same. Yeah, you know. But I think after once, once like I think it, there was a huge gear change when, like, um, Arsenal left Highbury and went to this. M- monolith Emirates, of us. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. kind of took away that uh, kind of like legacy and history and tr- uh, trueness to what their their history. You could say the same thing about West Ham. Well, really. this is it as well. You yeah. know, now they've gone to um, the London it, Stadium. That's it. Is that yeah. in Stratford? Actually, I'm not sure. I don't yeah, know. It, it is, is in yeah. Stratford. Yeah. yeah. And um, when they left Upton Park. Yeah, I miss those days, like the Chicken Run and. Like we, I used to go. My brother and I went home and away um, from mid mid eighties. Right. Uh, we were absolute rabid fans. We'd you know go all the games. You know. Right. And and so we we would literally you'd be if you're at the front you could almost touch the players. Yeah. You know? I remember Upton. Upton. Yeah. You were literally it was so, a bit like um it was, uh, similar to uh, White Hart Lane. It felt like you were on the pitch. Those first, if the ball got oh, yeah. hoofed, you'd get it. Oh in yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. You could you could kind of like. You could actually talk to the players. Yeah. Know? Not that there was much talking. There's a lot of swearing. That's where I learned my swearing. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. I mean, all sorts of choice words going on there. <laughs> well, you see, and also, I mean, I was, re- um, I read uh, Cass Pennant's book from the ice. Do you know who he is? For the, he was one of the, I'm sure it's Cass Yeah, Cass Pennant. He was one of the main guys in the ICF. Oh, in, uh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Inter, um, Intercity for yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, he, you know, some of the stories that he came up with. A friend of mine, he was, he, who also works in music, I won't name him because he might be a little bit kind of, <laughs> I don't want to put him in a bad light, but he was part of the ICF as well. Right, right. And some of the stories he told me about Cass and really interesting time for football because it felt like England was, at that time, was in the mid-80s to late-80s, was kind of coming out of this, was becoming a little bit more sophisticated. We were getting different types of food and more people influx, and it was becoming a bit more progressive. Gastro-pubs and all that yeah. shit. And, and it's yeah. kind of like the football hooligan aspect kind of died down, but the, the working class kind of... Well, that was always an outlet for working class, yeah. wasn't it? You know, so. Getting yourself down there. And, this, and the firms are still there, man. They're still there and they still meet up. But it's well, just, you know, I think since the since the money's gone crazy uh, in the Premier League, I think, um, you know, it, it, it changed everything in that respect. Because, you know, for a start, like the cost of the tickets just went through the roof. Oh, yeah. You, know, so you can hardly get into bloody uh, games these days, you know. Back then it was like a tenner and, you know, yeah. and you're in. Absolutely. So, yeah. But no, Leeds in the Leeds in the nineties when I used to go to Ellen Road and watch them, and um, yeah, you know, seeing Yeboah play. I met Yeboah. I, yeah. I got taken into the dressing room. Once. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Um, my mum's friend was the head of PR for Leeds, and <laughs> so I got taken in by uh, the goalkeeper called Mark Beanie, who was the reserve goalkeeper. And I went in and I met uh, Lee Sharp and. 
Oh, Tony, Tony Yeboah's legs were so... He was sat down. Like tree trunks. Yeah. I, honestly, I've <laughs> yeah, never seen certainly. a bloke with bigger legs in my life. Yeah, yeah. That's why he could kick the ball as hard as he could. His legs were huge. Yeah. Um, met Ian Rush and... It's amazing meeting uh, those kind of heroes, isn't it? Like, so for me, because I was a kid like growing up with um, like with Tony Cotty, Frank McAvenny, Ian Brady, people like that, Lynn Brady, sorry, and uh, Mark Ward, and all those amazing players of, of yesteryear, and then and then um, you know uh, Billy Bonds, yeah, those kind of people, Julian Dix, and. Uh, you know, years later, um, when I was kind of like in my late teens, obviously, uh, I, I suddenly had this rush of fame come along. Sure. And then West Ham were like, you know, throwing me tickets and hey, come and come and hang out in our box with Todd Carty and, uh, and you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and uh, I ended up meeting all those people. You know, it's like, and Frank McAvenny is now like, you know, someone I text now and again. You know? Amazing. <laughs> it's so weird, you know. It is odd, isn't it? Like when yeah. you... Um, I don't know when you when you, when you see people who've experienced this success and you've you've been to their shows or you've yeah. been to watch them play football or you've seen them act on television. But, but, um, yeah. I'm quite friendly with Robert Carlyle now. His daughter's signed to my label, and yeah. I've been out for coffee with him. But I'm a big fan of his Brilliant work. Actor. Yeah, one of, one of the greatest big... actors, uh, you know, from the UK. I, I agree. Think, ever. Um, and he's him. played some iconic roles. Oh, fantastic. And yeah. now I can just text him, and it's 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 quite it's normal. It's fine and everything, yeah. but. You, you kind of sometimes go, that is kind of crazy, yeah. you know, because I, I was so into his his work and it's it's nice. But it's funny, we go back to footballers though, when I, like, now that I'm a bit older, obviously, like, you know, I went to, um, I did a whole thing at the World Cup, I did a, a gig, I was the halftime show at the England-Wales game at this World Cup. I remember, and I uh, saw it because I was yeah. like, Steve, Steve, Jez yeah, is on telly. <laughs> I know, yeah, so that was mad, but like, you know, obviously I love football and I was like, you know, watching and absolutely like thinking like you're idolizing these people, you know, and then after the game, got, I was in the tunnel, I got to meet everyone, you know, Great. you know, and uh, giving like Declan Rice a cuddle and like, and then Jude Bellingham comes down and giving him a high five and stuff. And what you realize is they are kids. Of course. They are children. I mean, you know, Jude Bellingham is two years younger than my eldest son. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's like, it is, it's remarkable. You don't realize, you don't think about it because they're, they're so, you know, on the top of their game and, and, uh, and so incredibly a athletic and everything else. And the, you, you just watch them think, and you know, there's, there's all these like older men all like, oh, fucking can't you got to get this right and yeah you know but then when you actually meet them you're like oh shit they're actually they're kids they're still developing there's like people little yeah absolutely yeah. i mean if they, until you get to 25 they say your brain isn't fully developed anyway <laughs> it's mad so you know yeah, and, and to have all this uh, wealth and pressure put on top of them as a result consequence of the money they're receiving totally. and, and and you know the a country being being um Behind him. Did you watch the David Beckham documentary? Yeah, I did. Yeah, where where he, when he the booted pressure. that the, oh. when he booted that geezer and it was like yeah. he hardly touched him and he was I think was he twenty three or yeah, 22, 22 20? I think. I yeah. mean twenty two and yeah. like the whole countries like people spitting at him and all oh, that and kind like of stuff. burning effigies of him and you know, just stuff crazy. Like that. Poor, I felt for him. I really, I, I did. did. I remember feeling for him at the time. I, I guess yeah. you know, obviously we were all pissed off because it it was our big chance. It was like the you know the the golden generation Absolutely. of football that probably should have won something yeah, yeah. at that time and you know and it, they just needed a scapegoat really because uh, well, the truth is he d it wasn't his fault they went to penalties and anything can happen in penalties that yeah game, you know. did did was that the one where Saul Campbell scored a, a goal in injury time and it got disallowed or was that another game I can't remember now man I, I, just, remember. I remember watching Owen score that goal oh that was amazing he was only 18 wasn't he 
And he just, yeah. and, and he pretty much, when Scholes was about to try and take it off him, yeah. and he pretty much... He's like, no, I'm taking this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bosh! I was just like, yeah. right, oh my across, God. Right across the front of the pre- of the um, penalty box and then just bosh. It was right just, across, it was just, yeah. it was so un-England-esque. Yeah, it was amazing. It was, yeah, 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 because yeah, normally it was like headers and knock, you know, Lineker yeah. getting on the end of yeah. it and tapping it in. I mean, Platt had some outrageous goals in his time. He but, did. But, but that Michael Owen moment, it was like the... the you know, welcome to the stage, wasn't it? But 18 he was. Absolutely. He was 18. Oh, well, I remember seeing him playing in um, the England schools on Sky right. when he was about 15 because he was, everybody was going on about him and it was like where England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland would play again, a tournament against each other and yeah. it was on Sky and it was in like Bradford City Stadium <laughs> with hardly anybody watching right. and it was sponsored by Walker's Chris and all this. And I remember watching him playing him getting man of the match and I'm th- and everyone was really waxing lyrical about Michael Owen. Yeah. He was probably like sixteen or something. Yeah, he was really young. And then two years later he yeah, did that. And he was just unbelievable. Yeah. But um I remember watching that game and I was gutted when we lost, but it was a yeah, every time Ariel Ortega got the ball for Argentina, I thought they're going to score. He yeah. just walked through everybody. It was unreal. But it was always the way, wasn't it? Like, you know, England-Argentina, oh. it was just the rivalry was so huge. Yeah. And it still is. It, it is, still it is. is massive, I guess, because of the Falklands yeah, and political absolutely. climate and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's um, But I think this new crop of England players, honestly... They're next level. They are. I really think that, you know, we have every chance of, of winning something. So. It feels like there's a there's more of a unity in what they're doing. That yeah. whole kind of United Liverpool. Oh, oh yeah, that's all gone. It's gone. And but back and then, I've met I met them all at that particular moment and you know this this World Cup just gone. And I could see that they were they were really, really close. Right. You know, they were getting on, they were making jokes with each other and yeah. stuff and just all hugging each other and you know, it was it was a definite camaraderie. Well, they had just won three nil, but like, you know, who <laughs> that they, helped. Oh, it was against it was Wales. Wales, it was a yeah. Wales game, yeah. It was Gareth yeah. Bale's last game. Ah. Yeah. Of course. So how did that come about then with the you were getting invited to go over to Qatar and, and play and the, did they just was I it? just got the best manager in the world. Right. <laughs> right, okay. You know, he was actually programming James, my new manager actually. We've only been working together for well, a year a year I'll see now. And uh, so he was it was just at the beginning of our relationship and he okay. was like, I'm programming the uh, entertainment for the World Cup and uh you fancy going out and doing the half time? I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Uh, of course, <laughs> yeah. What a great experience! Oh, it was amazing, and because it, because it was such a, a the the way that it all happened was just like you know written in the stars because we it was, the first half was nil nil if you remember it was nil nil yeah and it was kind of a boring game we're like oh god here we go again bloody England yeah <laughs> and uh, you know uh, half time I came out did my thing. Which was amazing. Sixty-five thousand people singing along to it. That was an amazing moment. Yeah. And um, then they ca- the boys came out and they scored three goals like that straight away. Wonderful. So all the press picked up that it was like, it was like me that did it. Or something. Amazing. You know, I mean, obviously it wasn't, but like. Well, it, but the thing yeah. is, it wasn't. I don't think it was broadcast on telly. But when it kept, when there were, um, <laughs> there was a snippet of you starting. I think um, Gary Lineker turned around and said, was that Chesney Hawks? Yeah, absolutely. Like and then on Twitter, everyone was like, what's Chesney Hawks yeah, doing yeah. out there? And it was great. Yeah. It and was then it kind was of... like front page of the sun the next day. It was mad. And so I was going to be coming home. And it was so crazy that it was like every single, it was every media outlet in the country wanted 
to do something with me. It was mad. It's like back in being 91, in, back in 91 again, you know. And uh, even Tyson Fury was like, I've I, I got to meet him. You know, so I, I came, I flew back to meet Tyson Fury on the day before his flight. And it was just mad. It was just ridiculous, you know. That's ridiculous. That really is, fun, though. Like, absolutely. Yeah. He, he, is he as big as he looks? Is he massive? He's massive. He's a big dude. Yeah. Yeah. I like Tyson Fury. I like how he talks and how honest he is about. He's raw. He's raw. I mean, and, and I met him just the day before uh, a fight. So he was oh, definitely was in fight mode. Okay. Was that against Wilder? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I might be in Chisora. I can't remember, but he. Yeah, I, I I like the way he kind of. There's a lot of emphasis when you're a, an artist or a, a a sports person to get to the top, the summit of the mountain. But when you get there, it's never as good as you think. Mm. You know, like I I feel like that that's why a lot of musicians turn to drugs because when you're on the road and people are like. Oh, you're living the dream, but really the dream is quite tough. Going, you're on a tour bus full of like oh, yeah. roadies and people, and people can get on your nerves. You're missing your home. You don't. Yeah. You're not eating right, yeah. and as a result, to try and numb the kind of anxiety of like, well, I'm t- touring America or touring around the UK for months on end. I'm gonna have some sort of medicine <laughs> mm. to kind of take the edge off and make me feel more special because I, sh- I feel like I should be enjoying this but sometimes it's not enjoyable at all you know well, I mean you know there, there's obviously a lot of highs uh, being on tour being on the road you know it's like it can be fun because you are with you know a kind of a camaraderie group of people yeah. you know, and people that you've chosen I was lucky enough to have my brother with me from the early days and, which you is know, great had a lot of fun um you know, we were young, 19, 20 years old, just doing that tour in the world, you know, and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. But, yeah, it, it's easy to want to kind of numb numb that kind of... It can be lo- like lonely in a way out there. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And you think and a lot of work, and especially for, for the the lead singer or, or, you know, the kind of front man of, of a band or a solo artist like yeah. myself. Yeah. You know, you, you have to do all the press and you've got to do all the... You've got to be on all yeah. the time. You yeah, know, yeah. so like I always, I always kind of felt a little bit jealous of the boys because they could just stay up all night drinking and, and, and they they could have a lie in, whereas I'd be up doing bloody this morning or something. And, and also, you can't really <clears throat> gain it too much cause as the singer, because if your voice goes, no, it's true. You got to look after your voice. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it always amazed me, like you know, when you hear about these rock and rollers, like you know. Uh, like Jim Morrison smoking or like 40 just like, days yeah, it's like doing drugs and like just going crazy and just like and still manage to get out there and to give, give a performance it's like I don't yeah I don't know you, they did it I, yeah. I, I once I once had a I don't really I don't drink uh, but I once had a, a joint before I went on stage once thinking yeah. oh I'll see what it's like everybody goes on about it it was horrendous oh, it's the worst there's nothing worse no I was I've just done, I've done that myself it's like it, yeah, it's one of those are the kind of things that you do once or twice and then don't do it again ever because no. you you feel like a mug on stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially. I mean, I forgot where we were. Oh, God, I was yeah. singing the wrong lyrics to the wrong songs, and I was embarrassed. Actually, I was like, yeah. oh, and it wasn't like a big gig, but it was a lesson to make yeah. me go. I never want to feel like that on stage ever again. I think there's a certain professionalism to to fronting a band that you know that you it's on you. You're right. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. So so if you fuck up, you know you you're letting everyone down. Absolutely. You know. And but, it, uh, yeah, I agree. It's um, 
and I also think if you if you're the guitarist or the drummer or the bassist, you can kind of eke through it a little bit. Oh, Pe- you tell you can, and but they when, do, don't they? Yeah, Bastards. yeah. Bastards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially those bass players. You got to watch those yeah, bass players. Yeah, yeah. Especially the any- big hairy ones. Yeah, well, just for anybody <laughs> watching. So, uh, Steve Jackson, who plays the bass guitar in my band Affleck's Palace, also plays. Uh, bass guitar in Chesney's band, so that's why yeah. we kind of we connect, share connect. we share Big Daddy Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, shout out to Steve. Yeah. Um, so, so going back to '91, like you, you uh, the one and only came out off the back of Buddy's song, the film, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And you, um, how did? Like, what was the process in all that? Did you want to be an actor? Because I, I, did, did you want to be an actor? And did you audition for that part? And part of the package was you needed to be able to sing so you could do the soundtrack. How did it all kind of fall into mm. place? Because it felt like the film came out and did all right, but then your song just went stratospheric and kind of the film got pushed to the yeah. side and you became this kind of... It was almost like nobody even connected the dots after a little mm. bit, you know? How did it all come about? So... um I was 17, something like that, and uh, Roger Daltrey was on um, Good Morning Britain or one of those TV shows, like, and, and he was kind of like looking for a young boy to, that could possibly play his son, that could sing, that could play guitar, piano, and act, All right. basically. Um, and uh, <laughs> funnily enough, I was, when I saw that, I was in ho- hospital, I'd just come out of like, having my wisdom teeth out. Right. And so I had all these, like, you know, gauzes in my mouth and oh, I remember God. kind of like well being still kind of like slightly uh you know dazed and confused and I saw Roger there and I, I was watching him and I was like oh I want to do that <laughs> you right. know, I could talk and I was like I want to do that so basically I, f- I found myself at a, a, a casting open casting call basically right. hundreds of boys it was yeah. like one of those kind of x-factor things right where uh, no tv but it was like you know uh, an audition thing yeah. where there was like just loads of boys going around the block and I was just one of those lads and um, it was a massive thing because I I got called back after that, and then there was a load more um, auditions. And was this thing. in London? Uh, yes, the first one was in London, uh, and and but there was quite a few. Then it kind of started to whittle down, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I had to do different things every time. First thing I think was I had to perform something, and then do a couple of lines from from the script or whatever. Okay. I never acted before in my life. Right. I was never an actor. Right. Um, and it got whittled down and down. I think I did four auditions and all these callbacks. And then eventually it was me between me and this other kid called Cal, both 17. And uh, we went to Bray Studios uh, where The Who were rehearsing for one of their comeback uh, tours or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, um, latest big tour. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Bray Studios. It's like this massive warehouse, huge. Uh, so they can set up the whole kind of rolling t- stadium tour. Okay, so you can pra- set up. And yeah, they do, exactly. they do that so they could sort out the lighting and kind of. Everything. So everything's on point. So when they roll into the venue, they've already rehearsed how the lights yeah. come on and et cetera. Right, yeah, sure. It was totally one of those massive okay. stage. And uh, uh, and so Roger decided to do the audition stuff there while, while they're rehearsing with The Who. Okay. And so I did. The first thing I did was this. Um, this really emotional scene um, with Roger, and I'd, ne- I'd as I said, never acted before, and I, they were, it culminated with like he, he played my dad, and uh, it culminated in in him slapping me. Right. So it was quite an emotional kind of fraught scene, okay. you know. And I just thought he was going to pretend to slap me. I didn't. We didn't even practice it, you know. And I because I'd never acted, I thought, well, 
he's going to pretend I'm going to pretend to be slapped. No, he fucking walloped me. And uh, it was like property. Like they, uh, my, I was shocked, you know yeah, what I mean? Course. So like, that was, there was like actual tears. And I think that's probably why I got the part. I wasn't yeah, acting. Man. It was like, <laughs> just I just got hit by a rock star. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. And then the other part of it was I had to perform a song on the stage where the Who had set up. Okay. And, uh, and so down on the floor of the warehouse, it was massively up in the air, uh, was all, uh, and on the floor was Roger and, and all of the kind of film producers and the director and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so I got up there and I was doing, I'll never forget, I was doing um, Elvis's, well, that's all right, mama. And oh, I yeah. wasn't really a guitar player at that point. I was okay. very much a piano player from a very early age. Right. And I, dabbled but you know my dad sh showed me how to play the chords of of you know that's the right mama it's only like you know c f and g i think but uh, yeah and uh and so i was doing it and i looked up and behind roger um like leaning on the the wall at the back with his arms crossed with that kind of go on impress me boy look on his face was pete townsend oh really so i looked down at my my guitar and i was like oh what is this thing and yeah I, of course. Like one of the greatest guitar players in the world is just watching me fiddle around on this yeah, thing scuff you know. it up a bit oh, yeah. just fuck it up don't totally <laughs> fluff it up like you know and then and so i'm doing the thing and and i'm kind of just trying to get through it and i noticed roger started to walk uh, towards the stage and I was like, what's he doing? And I'll just keep going, well, that's all right, mama. And he's walked up and he get, he's walking up the steps and he walked up the steps and he's coming all the way over to me. I was like, shit, what's he doing? And he just came over to me and he grabbed my leg like that. Stop moving your fucking leg, he said. What? I was like, what's going on? I can't take any more. So I was a 17-year-old kid, you yeah. know what I mean? So, and uh, I, I guess I just thought I'd screwed it all up, you know what I mean? And, right, uh, right, right. But I didn't, obviously. I, you know, the next week I, I, I was told I got the part and, and that, was, that was how that came about. And I only really went up for that audition because I knew it was, it, I would be playing a young singer-songwriter. Yeah. Um, so there was, it was a very musical-based film. Yeah. And I thought maybe there's that elusive record deal at the end of it. Sure. Think, because, you know, in those days... It was difficult, you know, you had to get it, you had to, you know, really, really sell your wares. And I, I remember sending cassettes out when I was like, you know, 15, 16, um, of my demos and stuff like that. And of course, it's, it's damn near impossible, you know. Well, they were the gatekeepers to having music even released. That's it. Now, these days, you can just put yourself on Spotify and you're and done, it's, it's you know. It's out, yeah. Um, it's out, and, and social media's changed okay. all of that stuff. But, um, you know, in those days, it really was about, you know... You could do gigs, and you know, and I did. I was, I, I never, st I started playing live when I was like 13, so I'm right, you know, I was already out there doing stuff. Uh, but you know, you got to get those people down to your gig, and if you're playing like the dog and duck in fucking where <laughs> who, who knows where you are, you know, then it, you know, it's rare to get someone to come out, you well, know, absolutely. I mean, and your, your, your dad was in the tremolos, right? Yeah, and and I, I presume that you're formative years were surrounded by music and kind of you were encouraged by your dad to kind of play a bit of piano and you wanted to kind of um you know i don't know engage with your dad and on on that music level because yeah. of that's what he did i presume i always i always thought but like just from an outsider's point of view i always i presumed that your dad had known somebody who'd put you forward for it Mm. and you know and yeah but my dad's not very much he's not like that he's like he i remember when i was like 16 <coughs> or 15 16 i was like I, I left school you know and my dad was like what do you want to do what are you going to do 
he knew very well I was going to say, well, I'm going to try and make it in music, you yeah. know. And he said, well, all right, but if you're not making money in music by the end of the summer, then you're going back to, you're going to go to college or something. Okay. You know? and, and he didn't, you know, he, yeah, he, he helped a little bit, but, it, you know, he made me do it on myself, myself yeah. you know. And yeah. I remember, like, you know, lugging the keyboards to local gigs, local pubs and things like that. And, you know, I, I di- it, it was very much kind of, you know, I did it myself, yeah. you know. I mean, obviously, he had some contacts here and there, but, you know, that's not his style. No, no, he no. He comes from a very working-class background, my dad. Uh, he's from Dagenham, know. isn't he? Uh, actually, he's from um, Shepherd's Bush. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah the rest of the tremolos are from Dagenham. right. I yeah. thought that's why you might support West Ham, actually. Yeah, no, it wasn't. My dad was a QPR fan. Ah! Yeah, yeah. But he never took us to games, me and my bro. So we had a, a friend a, uh, who was like friend of the family who had season ticket uh, to West Ham. Shout out to Roger Crouch. Nice. And uh, yeah, he took me and my bro to... The first game we ever went to was Spurs away. And we lost like 5-0. And oh. I remember seeing the West Ham fans doing the okie-cokie up and down the aisles. And I was like... These are my people. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, so, Brilliant. and you can't change your football team once you... No. You can definitely. change everything else in your life, can't you? <laughs> yeah. Your what, wife, your sex. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you can't change, can't change your, your support. Football. It's just not cricket. No. So uh, I've lost my track, my train of thought. No, I? no, but so, so, so it wasn't your father who, who kind of encouraged you to go to that open audition. You'd seen it on the telly and you'd gone and you'd got the audition. Once you were secured in that, you'd been told that that was your that you'd got the job for acting how did it all like come to bear fruit work did you work with nick kershaw on any of that because nick kershaw wrote uh, one and only only. and and i believe it was recorded this is just what i've read online so correct me if i'm wrong but it was recorded at abbey road yeah and it was one of the producers of the film who co-wrote some of the songs for the soundtrack was when you were working on that that music were you brought in just to record the vocals and everything was recorded or were you part of the writing process no, how did much, it come to fruition i was very much part of everything um, right and even when when i when i got the part um they gave me a bunch of lyrics because all of the lyrics from the buddy song soundtrack were written by nigel hinton who wrote the the book and the screenplay right um so he wrote them as as buddy would write them right you see what i mean yeah um, so I was given a bunch of lyrics and uh, and I wrote a load of songs okay. uh, myself. Okay. And in fact, I ended up getting three songs on the album, yeah. uh, which for a 17-year-old kid wasn't it's, too shabby. It's outrageous. You know, I'm still actually quite proud of that, actually. Yeah. You know. And of course, there were other songwriters, um, a guy called John Wesley Harding, who's fantastic, an artist in his own right, and very successful now. Um, and so we, we did a little bit of writing together and he had some songs as well, which were great. Um, so... The, the soundtrack, well, sorry, the, the actual f- music for the film yes. was recorded before we made the, the film. Okay. At Abbey Road, as a, almost like a, as a young band. We actually had good musicians, but we played it live and it was all a bit scrappy. And, right. you know, we did it scrappy because we were supposed to be a young band. And this was before you started filming. This is even before the well, film. So you, you had the part, you've been given the Got part. the part. And then they said, we want you to write a bunch of songs. songs. You went into Abbey Road yeah. to record the song, which mad, is isn't it? outrageous. It's ridiculous. I and know. then you started filming. So we, we spent three months in Abbey Road recording the film music, the music for the film, which is like as at the stuff that we played. I sung live. Right. On the, and it was actually the first time that had ever been done in English cinema. Wow. Where all in any kind of musical sense wise. you know. When I, you say you sung live, do you mean with the band? No, see, the band was recorded at Abbey Road. Okay. So that was kind of, they were miming. 
that I was singing live. Okay. And that was Roger's insistence. Do you mean in the film? In the film. So right. every time you see me singing on on screen in Buddy's song, I'm singing that live. Okay. Yeah. Which is no mean feat because you, you do it, you have to do it like fucking hundred times when you're doing a scene and every, different angles and everything. And you have to do it exactly the same and you have to keep your voice in check. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And uh, so that was, that was tough. <clears throat> the only time that ever been done before in any film was Coal Miner's Daughter. Right. Yeah. So I, I, it's probably been done since now, I would think. But uh, so they would play back on a on a, a speaker or whatever. Yeah, there we had monitors. monitors. It was just like playing with a band. Yeah, and of course you had a band around you, and they were all musicians. Actually, the band right. anyway. Everyone could play. We made sure of that, you know. Um, but uh, except for, except for Paul McKenzie, who's, who's my best mate now, and was playing my best mate then, and they had him on the keyboards. And I look at him now; he looks he just, <laughs> he's playing like this, like you know, amazing. <laughs> it was hilarious. Like, like like one of the Muppets, yeah, like, it was, like it Ralph was like, Ralph Balfour. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was. It really was. So we we always take the piss out of him now, and seeing the old footage because he did Top of the Pops with us and everything. Amazing. And he's doing this on the keyboard. Fantastic. <laughs> And that's how people so, think the keys are played as a result of that miring. Yes. Like, you know. So funny. Um, yeah. So you went into the studio. Um, how yeah, did, so how, Nick Kershaw. Um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. asked about Nick. So, so that was that was the music for the film. And then I went and I've, then we filmed the film and everything else. And then uh, that was a you know four or five months on the on the film. And then we went back into Abbey Road for another three months to record the soundtrack. Okay. So we took some of the elements from the film, um, you know, recordings and, and added to them. And, and at the time, I remember the record company really happy with the soundtrack. And it was all the songs from the film, very much kind of like uh, specifically all the songs that were made for the film, if you see what I mean. It was yeah. very much like an insular kind of yeah. project, yeah. you know. Um, and then the record company were like, Maybe there's a couple of outside songs we could think about, you know. Right. This is Chrysalis, isn't it? Chrysalis Records, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, Chris Wright and uh, uh, Paul Conroy. Um, and so they were, it got put, because it was a, you know, it wasn't a major label, but they were a big label. Massive, Chrysalis yeah. were a big label. They had Blondie, they had World Party at the time. The, I mean, God, Sinead O'Connor. Yeah. Um, lot, lots of amazing artists and, and with real heritage, you know. And uh, so... There, back in those days, there was a, a, a thing called a who, the Who's Wanting list. All right, okay. <laughs> and um, it's 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 for record labels that have artists that need songs. Okay. Right. So they, it gets put out to the machine, and you know there are, especially in those days, there were, you know, <clears throat> professional songwriters like um, like Diane Warren, right. and uh, Desmond Child, people okay. like that. They were huge. Like Desmond Child would write for like. Bon Jovi and yeah, almost uh, like a gun for hire kind of thing yeah. for songs and, and and all of the there was certain people like Diane Warren. Oh my God, if you look up Diane Warren, the songs that she's written for like Starship and people like that, like incredible, a little bit kind of generically written in a way, but they were genius songs and yeah, she was absolutely. a genius and and you know so people like that and lots of other people got kind of would have had me come up on their who's looking list, you know, right and. Uh, and um, so lots of songs came in, uh, but my dad uh, knew uh, this guy called um, Stuart Newton, okay. who used to be um, at uh, Warner Chapel Music. Right. Um, and he he uh, had Nick Kershaw on his roster as a writer. Okay. He, he published Nick Kershaw, and so my dad went to lunch with him at one point, and and uh, and Stuart put on this cassette, said, uh, oh, "What do you think of this?" And it was a demo of Nick. Uh, and the one and only was one of the songs. Right. And my dad was like, oh, 
that's got to be Nick Kershaw, isn't it? Chesney will be pleased. Is that a new Nick Kershaw album? And so Stuart was like, actually, it, it, it is Nick, obviously, very recognisable voice and everything. But Nick is um, taking a break from being a, um, you know, an artist and wants to kind of concentrate for, for now on writing for others. Right. So all these things, all these songs are available. So my dad brought me the cassette of these Nick Kershaw demos, and there must have been 15 of songs, all great. Um, and I, I've still got it, and there's an asterisk that I'd put beside the one and only. Right. And another song called Oxygen. Right. And then another song called I'm in love with my TV. Ah. <laughs> so um, I ended up recording the one and only, obviously. Yeah. Um, and Jason Donovan took uh, Oxygen. Right. And Cliff Richard took <laughs> really? I'm in love with my TV. Yeah. Wow. I think I took the right one. To you be did. They were all good songs, as I said. Obviously, Nick's a bloody genius. And, the, and I've been a Nick fan since I was, you know, 14 when uh, Human Racing came out. So I was a huge, huge, huge fan. And. You know, you could literally pinch me, you know, three or four years after that. I actually got to meet him and work with him. It was, right. you know, I mean, it was incredible. But when we first took the song to, to the team, and as I said, there was a, a massive pr production team, inclu including all the, the guys from the film, director from the film, the producers, Roger, all the record company, my management. I mean, it was, it was all too many cooks in a way. And we, yeah. took, we took that song. Well, I remember we played it. We were at Studio 3 Abbey Road, put it on, and everyone was there. And it kind of went down like a wet balloon in a way. I loved it, but I was kind of more thinking I want to do it because I want to meet Nick Kershaw. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, was the, was the demo um, as polished as the final version? Like, was was there what was the difference between the, the demo version and the, the final version? Yeah, that's a good question, and not a lot, I have to say. Okay. Um, it, Obviously, the final version was po more polished because we ended up recording it at Abbey Road and, and, you know, and we added all sorts of things to it. But, but if you listen to the demo, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty similar. You know, okay. we, we, Nick, Nick came into the studio and brought his um, session with him. Okay. And, and we just kind of took all the tracks from his demo and then we worked from that. Had he already so, recorded all the guitar parts or was solo he, kind of bit? He so. redid the solo. Okay. Um, redid gu guitar parts as well. Um, did he do all the guitars on that yeah, recording? Yeah, he did. Because it's great. Yeah, yeah. It almost feels like a track that Brian Adams wish, wish, wished he'd written. <laughs> totally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of, yeah. that kind of almost like pop, soft rock kind of anthemic... Yeah. Um, but it's 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 like it's too complicated for a Brian Adams song. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's in four different keys, you know, classic well, Kershaw. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, but for, I just think from a production. No, I, I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? I, I like totally yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. kind of. Um, but it's it, it just seems to have lasted the the test of time because whenever it, anybody see, I don't. When you listen to other tracks of that ilk from that era, it feels. Uh, I mean, to say dated feels a bit harsh, but it feels of its time. Yeah. Whereas when I listen to that recording, because mm. I love that song, I think it's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I feel like it doesn't feel, it feels quite, I don't know, not modern, but it doesn't it's feel got a like freshness it's, a, to it. it's Yeah, it it's aged very well. Yeah, yeah. It's like a classic car shape mm. from the, the, where you're <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's, you yeah. know, it feels, like you said, fresh. Mm. Um, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? With certain records, uh, and the one and only, I'm lucky enough, obviously, to have something like that in, in <laughs> you know, as part of my career. Um, I feel like, I always call it like a song with wings, you know, because 
after that, those days, obviously we had success and everything else. And then, then uh, you know, I, I had years where I didn't, I, I kind of rebelled against it in a mm. way, you mm. know, um, and, and I didn't play it for maybe 10 years. Wow. And uh, really kind of fell out of love with it and just kind of anyone, you know, I, I, Radiohead were huge at the time. And I was a massive Radiohead fan, still am. Who isn't? Yeah, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to be in Radiohead. And I'd, I'd, I'd spent that time, I formed a band. My brother was in the band as well. And we had uh, Gary Nuttall, um, who's my old guitar player, um, who's now Robbie's guitar player. Right. You know, in the band. And, and we would like, you know, <laughs> shoegaze and turn up to 11. And if anyone asked, uh, shouted out one and only, I'd tell them to piss off, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, but that, it's kind of, it almost feels like a, a you're trying to, develop as an artist and your ch your tastes change and and also f fashions change what's on on vogue once at one point won't be the next i mean you just have to look at haircuts from the early from the noughties <laughs> yeah. you know where people have like bleach blonde mullets and they look insane and yeah. well i'm looking at my bloody hair from the early days but I, do you know what <laughs> I, I think it still looks cool like that leather jacket do you know that leather jacket you're wearing on the cover yeah i was in Reykjavik, a vintage, vintage clothes. Oh, I love Iceland, man. Oh, it's amazing. We could talk Iceland for days. Oh, we could. Yeah, yeah. Reykjavik, it's unbelievable. But this jacket was in. Um, uh, there was like a, a lumberjack kind of pla plaid, kind of red and black check jacket, and there was this like almost like a Michael L. Jackson esque jacket that you wore, that kind of biker yeah. jacket. Yeah. And it the biker jacket was a perfect fit, and so was the other one. And I looked in the mirror, and I looked like a complete twat. <laughs> I looked at myself in that. You pulled it off. Something you look great, off, yes. but I look like an absolute <laughs> moron. Uh, I so still got that jacket. Have you? Yeah, it still fits. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah, that. I know it's mad. Yeah, I've got. I did a. Um, we did a, a a vinyl release of the one and only recently, where we we included the original. And it was like 30 years since type of thing. Okay. And uh, so on one side was the original, and then the other side, we, we did a, we had a kind of a new, Nick Kershaw um, did a, like a revamp of, of the production. <coughs> he redid the solo, he okay. did a new mix and everything. And it sounds fucking amazing. It's yeah. great. And so I did a, I did a, a photo session with that jacket on. Amazing. So on the front is me in 91 with the crazy floppy hair. And, yeah. And you turn it over and it's me now with the same jacket on. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had to do it. But going back to what you're saying about the one and only, um, you know, and the fact that I'd fallen out of love with it for years, but but when I came back to kind of because I didn't even perform as me for a long time, bra, um, right. not at all. I was I did band names, crazy band names and stuff, and then eventually I got offered a gig, and uh, it was a student union gig, and this was ten years after the one and only, and I d I was really skeptical about doing it because I just thought, well, these kids were like would have been like nine years old when it came out. Yeah. No one's going to remember that. No one's going to remember the one and only. No one's going to remember me, you know. But actually, it, it, quite the opposite. What I didn't realise what happened is be, it, over the years it had become a student anthem. Right. It become a kind of like a classic cult record in a way. Yeah. You know, been handed down like some kind of mantle. And so that's what I mean about a song with wings. It's like that record kind of had its own life. And, you know, I always say these days that like I, I've, I've kind of given up ownership of that record because it belongs to people that have some kind of connection to it yeah and there's lots of records and artists like you know that i love that i feel the same way about you know it's like that's a little bit of me there yeah it's a bit of my life and it's you know? soundtrack to certain moment that completely yeah. takes you back to in a in a heartbeat sure and and you, you you can imagine that like over the years i've had like you know 
messages and, and emails and whatever from so many different people about the song, you know, just like what it meant to them, what it means to them and where it fits in in their life. Like, you know, it was the first song it was playing, uh, it was playing when I met my wife or it was played at my dad's funeral or, you know, or my, my brother's f first dance at his wedding or so. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Just, it's like, that's nothing, that side of it is nothing to do with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, which I mean, you must have the same thing with with, with your fans. Well, you know? well, well, with, with Afflicks, I mean, it's, we we haven't got a, we haven't got a song that's quite that's transcended so many people's lives. We definitely have people coming to us saying wonderful, very, very kind things about what our songs mean to them, and and, and that's great and everything. Beauty and of music. It yeah. is. It is, and it, it's kind of it's almost the, the, when people tell you these stories about certain songs, it almost feels like. I, for me personally, like I have a not a de it sounds a bit cold, but a detachment when they're telling me it's like I don't I don't necessarily I can't even v visualize what you're telling me is in like it, for you it's of this vibrant like like when I when I listen to the one and only it takes me back to being in the car with my dad and it coming on the radio as a young mm. kid and, and seeing you in the leather jacket and just because it was before I started doing anything to do with music yeah. and I was like I remember seeing it just thinking this is I love how it sounds it's so energetic and uplifting and it was great mm. and it just reminds me of a time you know I mean my dad passed away when I was quite young but when I was with him and and with my mom and 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 when the world felt the fresh and there was no sure. cynicism yeah yeah you know and it's so true though that yeah i think that's true i mean it seems true maybe because we were more innocent and when we were younger and we didn't we weren't exposed to, to a lot of the kind of shit that really is in the world Absolutely. you know what i mean it might be a lot a bit to do with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so so when, when so when one and only came out like did you go out on uh because I mean, just from what, you know, when I spoken to Steve about it, he was saying that you were like doing MTV things in like Germany and America and you were kind of, were you, was there a relentless touring schedule around it on, on you know, what was, what was the moment where it felt like, was there a, a, a moment where it felt like it really took off? Yeah. Um, back in, when it was first released, I had no idea what was, what was coming. Okay. I had absolutely no idea. But of course, you know, being a precocious 19 year old, kid you know I, I just I, I and also I'd grown up with fame around me so I, I kind of it was almost like it's a weird thing to say and I uh, but it almost felt like okay it's my turn it's my time Ah, uh, okay you know so yeah, I yeah, had yeah. that kind of mentality and I think that's actually one of the reasons that I did quite well in a okay. way because I had this confidence that you know, sometimes I guess chipped away as you get older, you know what it is? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> so it's a youth, it's when, youthful confidence. When I dreams think. die, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But back then, I was just like full of it, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, very precocious. And, and I think that, that that held me in good stead, you know. And so literally, it, God, I, I started promoting the record and Roger was coming around with us promoting as well. So right. I was instantly doing Saturday Superstore and like right. doing all these shows and stuff. And, um, and then it started, and as you said before, like it was promoting the film. Yeah, right. That's pretty much what it was. And, yeah. and the, the, the record was kind of like secondary in a way. I was just kind of like, he was introducing me as his co-star. Okay. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then of course the one and only just went, it just it just went meteoric so it's funny they even the um the packaging of the film changed it right. was like roger daltrey in buddy song introducing chesney hawks with little down the bottom you know to the one and only chesney hawks yeah. in buddy song with roger daltrey yeah 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 <laughs> so, 
it was uh, it was quite funny how that happened, you know. And it was literally within weeks. And I remember I was doing, um, was yeah. So the record nearly didn't make it because uh, back in the old days uh, with the charts, you used to get this thing called the midweeks. Right? Yeah, do you remember those? Yeah, yeah. So just for those your listeners that don't know, basically in the middle of the week, you used to get what they were called the midweek predictions right. to the charts. And it really was a prediction on, and based on the sales that had happened the first three days of the of, yeah. the, of the week. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they would predict where the, you think the re- where the records would be. So I think the one and only was about uh, about number seventy, eighty, something like that. Right. And they were hoping that it would come into the top forty. Um, and the midweek prediction that week on the Wednesday uh, was like one hundred and fifty. Yeah, it, it was di- It was dead. And if that ever happened, if that happened to a record in those days, it's dead. Yeah, and they just, okay, next, move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, was, that happened in the midweek. And then on the Saturday, we did the Little and Large show. Little and Large. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. S- uh, Sid Little and Eddie yeah. Large. Uh, you know, and it was just a performance. But back in, then, that was the biggest cabaret you know saturday night show and everyone watched it your grandmas watched yeah. it your, your dad and mum watched it and the kids watched it because yeah. it was silly and so we did a performance on that and it put it in the top 40 that's wow. what did it yeah wow. t- so i've got a lot to thank little and large for man that's hilarious. i've got a career to thank uh, and i i, I did uh, master chef uh, a few years ago celebrity master chef and uh, um sid little was on it Right, and I and I, <laughs> I went I went and found him, and I was like, mate, I have a story to tell you. Ah. <laughs> I was like, I have my career to thank you for, and he's like, oh, well, that's amazing, you know. Well, you're very welcome, yeah. Mr. Hawks. You know? That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So, so you feel that that was the turning point? It wasn't like yeah. a radio playlist. It was like that 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 was that the was thing what that did it for me. Lit the flame, but of course, there were lots of other things as well. Um, Radio One did pick it up. Um, they definitely did. So they were playing it, and I, you know, I still remember that first time, you know, hearing it in the radio. I mean, yeah. it was just like, wow, yeah, amazing, you know. And then, of course, when it came in the top forty, top of the pops came knocking. Right. So that's when you think, oh, okay, this is real now. And did you did you mime for that one? Was it, yeah, is it, is it just, everyone is, bloody yeah, 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 top yeah, yeah. of the pops. It was just so one of those I was just wondering things. how stressful it was for you, like when you were on there. Yeah. Because it, no uh, one wanted to, uh, you know. No, mean, but you had to. But like, you had to. There was no way of doing it. Back in the early days, they never mimed. No. Because, you know, everyone was playing live. But, uh, but yeah, so I it was, I remember Ed, Edie, Edie Reader from um, Fair, Fairground Attraction. Do you remember oh, that band? I, I don't, but... She, she, she did that song... Um, you got to be oh yeah perfect yeah watch so she she didn't want to do it uh to miming wise you right. know so so she came out with a uh, with a satsuma and just was she didn't even sing <laughs> she's just and she's like giving people in the audience like bits of set <laughs> i just remember that moment thinking, oh that's a, oh sorry i'm moving the mic sorry. that's a really good uh, kind of way to to complain that you don't want to you know yeah, to show people that you're not people, on board you're not with you're not, not going to do it you know well, well Kurt Cobain did that after do you remember oh when yeah he, when Kurt he was Cobain, kind of like just, yeah just throwing well Nirvana oh, I love that. Nirvana man I, I see I met those guys well kind of in the same kind of because ninety one was was when never um, mind never mind came out yeah 
And uh, yeah, back in those days, you used to do like uh, TV shows where you'd have to review the, the, the week's singles. Right. Remember, do you remember yeah, they used yeah, to see yeah. you know, or not, and not just on TV, you used to do it like for, for smash hits and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember hearing that for the first time on a TV show, listening to It Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I was like, shit, that's, that sounds different. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something's, something's changing here with that, you know? Yeah. And, and I remember absolutely falling in love with that band and, and especially that record, you know, just absolutely changed everything. And, and actually, you know, kind of pushed people like me out of the way, really. Well, yeah. You know, and, big, and also, like, hair bands at the time all disappeared. And it was like, it was like that was the beginning of a new era of rock music. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. They I just re- kind of bulldozed everything and went, we're here. And it, it was because he didn't really want to be there anyway. Well, no. <laughs> he didn't, he did didn't subscribe to that fame thing. I remember... Yeah watching him on MTV being interviewed about... Do you remember that band Extreme? Yeah, I played with I did a tour with them. Really? Yeah, I got to know him, Nuno Betancourt. And yeah, 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 Nuno yeah, Betancourt? Yeah, 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 when yeah. was that? I did a tour with um, Brian Adams and Extreme. So it was me, Brian Adams and Extreme. Um, that was a stadium tour around Europe. That's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why 93. I said it is because he was <laughs> Kurt Cobain was saying that they were all prima donnas. And when they, you know, they'd, they'd, tell the, yeah. they'd phone the press and say... We're going to be coming through this airport, and then they'd be like, "No cameras." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. no cameras. We're not into that. You know, this rock star kind of. The funny ma- thing about that band, as I always makes me laugh, is that they were a proper rock band. Yeah, like really kind of almost a heavy metal band in a yeah. way. Yeah, and Nuno was like very much known for for being probably the the best shredder in the world Absolutely. at the time, like ridiculous guitar player. Yeah, dexterity. Yeah, off exa- the chart. exactly. And and they were an underground band for years. And of course, you know that kind of music it it has an underground following. You yeah. know, and they and people knew them for that. And then of course they put out more, more than, than words, words, which is this little picky acoustic ballad. Yeah. And of course it just blows up. And um, I, I mean, it just makes me laugh that you know that's not what they were. No, you know, that's the only thing that they ever did that was like that. Yeah, you know, and, I, that's I, yeah. All, and that's all they're known for. It's well, hilarious. they put out that, 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 that when I was really little. I was listening to the. They had an album called Pornography Two. Yeah, yeah, and that's what that song was on. <laughs> it's, porno. it's so funny, isn't it? Yeah, um, like this pretty little yeah. dainty. You know. Well, that, well, the thing is, everybody, a lot of people listen to that and think it's a love song, yeah. but it's all about just trying <laughs> to get. Referred to Shaggy, more than words. Isn't that what most songs are yeah, Well, about? yeah, kind of, yeah. But yeah. Um, more than words is all you have to do to make it real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I went to watch Extreme just as a bit of a nostalgia trip when they reformed and they were played at um, Leeds Academy. And the, and the thing is, I mean, it, wasn't, it was quite empty. Um, oh, it was. And they came out on stage and they had all the amps and... Gary Sharon, the singer, was like wearing like spandex trousers and like <laughs> like mincing around the stage, yeah. and the, the amps just didn't turn on. So he's kind of like doing all these poses, and Nuno's like fucking like like kicking the shit out of his amp on this, <laughs> and it was all a bit fucking spinal tap. And, and then they all just walked off stage, and then they had to walk back on stage, and it was all a bit shit. Like oh, you know, mate. bless him. Very spinal tap. It was so spinal well, tap. Because you know, with the with the with the fact that they're a kind of a metal band and like the spandex and, and like. The, you know, the long hair and probably they, still got uh, that, you know, yeah, little bit the, of a guy liner maybe. Yeah, and they've still got this kind of rock star, like it feels like your <clears> persona, <throat> you know, like giving it this kind Especially of... Especially that American thing. like I, yeah, Absolutely. So you know, that, you know uh, Spinal Tap making a new film, don't you? No way. Yeah, yeah, all the original cast reformed to make a new film. It's 
it's uh, it's happening. Oh my god, I can't wait. No, can I? Nigel Tufnell. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I always say to uh, any musicians that I meet, like if mention Spinal Tap, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Have you seen Spinal Tap? Because if you haven't seen Spinal Tap. You're not actually a musician yet. Yeah. <laughs> you can't call yourself a musician yeah. until you've seen Spinal Tap. It, it just rings true to so, like, yeah. so many you know people that you bump into on the road who take themselves quite seriously. That's but hilarious. you just think, you just fuck off. You know, yeah, you, it's so it's funny. It's just you know. We've all got those stories, haven't we, Jay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we meet people along the way that are just like, just a little bit spinal. Yeah. Whereas that <laughs> Shark Sandwich gave a two word review of this album <laughs> Shit, Shit Sandwich. sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> they can't write that, can they? <laughs> oh, mate, there's so many classic lines from that film. It's yeah, like, oh. it's a brilliant. Film. It's like a musician's bible. You have it, to see it. Yeah, absolutely. That and is. bad news. That uh, that one's that. I think Spinal Tap takes it for me. Yeah, yeah. When's it? Is it? Do you? I don't know the, the the timing of it, but a friend of mine who's worked with uh, with those guys for forever. He's like basically their producer so he's he's working on it now i don't i couldn't give you a, a date but it's happening i mean i can't imagine what they're doing now with it you know what i mean because they're obviously like proper aging rock stars well, at this absolutely. point you know is it was it david st hubbins yeah the, the singer yeah david st hubbins nigel yeah. tufnell Derek smalls yeah who, who was harry shearer who's harry shearer who, who was I've, the... I've played with really that was his guitar player for a little bit <laughs> Wow, because yeah. he did the, the voices in um, Simpsons. Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, who did, what characters did he voice? He did Ned Flanders. Um, well, there's quite a few of them, actually. Yeah. He did the uh, Willie the, the janitor. The, the Scottish janitor. Yeah, the Scottish guy. Um, he does Mr Burns. Wow. Yeah, um, there's quite a few, actually. Did you ever ask him to do any of the voices whilst you were on tour? I didn't him? have to ask him. Yeah. Oh, really? He just doesn't? <laughs> no, he's a he's really lovely guy, actually. Yeah. Oh. And I didn't, I, I, it's a bit disingenuous saying I was a guitar player. I did two gigs with him and the Conan O'Brien show. Right. And uh, with, with it was actually me uh, and the band, the band was actually an amazing band like proper la cats you know yeah. cj vanson on keyboard and i mean uh, um lee scalar the ba bass player who's if you look him up my god just unbelievable okay. like the amount of people play with him. but also fountains of wayne were playing with us ah so we had them in the band so it was like a big old band you know right yeah and what was it for like was harry did it harry uh, was doing uh, a th he, he had a single out uh and it was called um, celebrity booze endorser. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like a comedy thing, you know. Okay. He was just putting out and under his own name was it? Yeah, under his own name, and uh, you know he had an album, so we were just you know the gig was fun, and we just did you know. When, when was that? And how did this you... would have been? 2013. Oh, quite and, and it's through my friend CJ Vanston, who's uh, the keyboard player. Um, I mean, he's played he, and written with and worked with people like Joe Cocker and Tina Turner. And I mean, wow. he's, he's a legend, legendary um, LA, um, you know, cat, should we right. say. <laughs> and so we've written songs together in the past. And he was, he was like, I think you should come in on this. We should come in on this. They need, they need a guitar player and a singer. Someone who can really do good back and forth. Like, He's like, I think you can do this. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was so fun. Really that fun. is fun. So, I mean, you toured with Brian Adams and Extreme. Were there any other tour supports that you went on, and how were those shows? And <clears throat> did you then go on to your own tours? What what sort of size yeah. venues were you playing at the height of your pomp? 
Because well, the venue, one of the, uh, sorry, I'm going off on a yeah, it's all right. But one of the videos, because you did three videos for one and only. Yeah. And one of which, was it filmed at Brixton Academy? Yes. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I saw that because I love seeing old music videos where I was like, "Ah, oh, that's Brixton Academy." I know that place, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, were, were you? Um, yeah, did you have any more to tour supports and where were the venues you were yeah, playing? Yeah, I played with um, one of my favourites um, was I did a um, an arena tour with uh, Huey Lewis and the News. Yeah, yeah, Huey Lewis and the News. They were so fun. That was that was some of the best touring ever. That was so fun. Because I was talking about the Brian Adams and Extreme one. Like, Extreme and, and my band got on really well, and we would, get, you know, end up in the pub together and stuff okay. like that. It was great. They were really nice people. Yeah. Um, but Brian Adams was just kind of a bit elusive. Right. He would kind of come in, <clears throat> he, you know, we, we'd done our bit, and he'd come in, go straight on stage, do his thing, and, and then fuck off. And, right. And he never really even, I've met him, you know, but he never really kind of paid attention to, to us. Right. Um, but Huey Lewis was the total opposite to that. Him okay. and the band was so great. I mean, you know, back then they were older then. You know, they were in their forties even then. You yeah. know, and so we were all in our uh, early twenties. Like, in fact, I was probably earlier than that. I'm like nineteen. And um, what's what's the, what's the, their biggest tunes? It's just oh, hip to be, hip to hip be, square, be square. Yeah, uh, the yeah. Power of love. Power of love. Uh, that's I mean, it. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, fantastic, fantastic songs. Like real classic pop rock yeah, stuff you know yeah. but, and but he he was the one that i remember um i mean i've had great mentors in my life and i'm talking you know go from roger daltrey to nick kershaw to my dad to to huey lewis was brilliant he he took me aside once after a gig um and he's like listen kid i can see that you you're good and and you know you're young and you're having success at the moment and it's like you know i i just want to give you the piece of advice that i wish i had when i was your age yeah into, and we were sitting there with a it was in Germany. We're having a couple of beers, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he said, "Never stop playing live." Right. He said, "Because some people do. Yeah. Some people just stop that f part of it. Right. You know." And uh, he's like, "It can be tough sometimes, but the thing is, that's where you learn your craft. Yeah. That's it. You know. And if you stop that, then you 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 lose your connection with your audience. Yeah. You know." So I, I I did that. I stuck to that, you know, because I've always I always hear his voice in my head. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice because I mean, obviously with uh, Hugh Lewis in the news uh, being used on Back to the Future. Yeah, exactly. I mean that 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 song off the back of Back to the Future and that huge. that franchise huge. Mm. I just remember how cool it was. Hearing on, you know, back to the, the yeah, yeah, oh definitely. my god, I love that great film. sounding records. Yeah, and he has, he's one of those people that I think has a hit voice. Yeah, you know, it's like there's some people that have that. You know, it's like obviously Brian Adams has that, Huey Lewis has that. I'd say, you know, uh, Peter Cox from Go West has that. It's okay, just got that voice that's yeah. just you know, no matter what you put it on, it sounds like a hit. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah gold I mean? dust. Yeah, Rod Stewart, uh, Joe Cocker. Yeah, well, I'm saying all the kind of husky people, aren't they? But you know, but no, I, I know what you mean. There are some people that just have a, a very distinct voice that just seems to cut through and just give songs. Also, also, not just the cutting through, I agree with you on that, but it's, it's also sounds good with guitars or sounds good with, yeah. with, with on the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just it fits in. It's like yeah. it's part, the voice is like part of the sound of, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. of the band. Like, a, like one big chord. Yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. It's part of, yeah, 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 yeah I agree. So then you, so what were the biggest venues you played on tour after that? When you started doing your own touring? Yeah. Um, I played the odd arena here and there. Um, 
Uh, but it's the I, one show that you, the, the peak where you're well, like, f- yeah. that was it. Yeah, for me, back in 91, of when I when I uh, headlined Hammersmith Odeon, oh, obviously the Apollo. The Apollo, yeah. wow. Um, but because I'd seen people there and I'd kind of like, obviously knew about the, the Hammersmith Odeon as, as being an iconic venue, mm. you know, David Bowie and Blondie and, and all these, like, and, yeah, Clash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously everyone's played there yeah. over the years, you know. I mean, it's it's literally everyone, isn't it? So so I, I always wanted to play there. Um, and then selling it out. And I remember going outside and taking a picture of the, you know, Chesney Hawks across there with the sold out across Hammersmith Odeon. And I was like, wow, that, that for me was one of those, another kind of milestone for me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What a great moment. Yeah. I remember, so I, I, many moons ago, I was a solo artist and I, and I, um, I was being courted by a few major labels and things like that. And somebody said to me, it was the it was the president of Island Records actually. He said, "What? Where do you want to be as an artist? What do you see as being success?" And I said, "I can't really imagine getting any becoming more successful than selling out Hammersmith Apollo. <laughs> that's great. That, that's the that's the ceiling of my yeah. If I ever got to that level, I don't think that would be as." successful as i can ever imagine becoming mm. and being able to do it we i've never got there but i did support razor light at hammersmith apollo brilliant so you played there yeah, yeah so yeah. we played there and that was sold out and that was yeah every other show on the tour with razor light felt special but the venues when you got on stage didn't feel quite as subs- like it wasn't as overwhelming yeah. like we were playing like even when we played Barrowlands and we played um, Olympia in Dublin and we played all these iconic venues mm. but when I got on stage I didn't feel like it oh my god I didn't feel out of my depth at all when I got on stage at Hammersmith Apollo I was like this is a barn yeah, yeah this is amazing. massive and I love the I love the way it feels because you feel very enclosed because it's like they're they're literally they're all there yeah they're all there yeah. and they're all there yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's yeah, like yeah. real kind of like it's it's it is like a barn but it's also intimate well it is and yeah. it's got a great I saw Tom Waits play there Oh, wow. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was his first gig yeah. in, um, I think it was like <clears throat> 17 or 18 years, and he's never been back. Oh, wow. And I got tickets for it, and I went, and I remember he came out, um, it was doing, it was it called, it was the, the album he was promoting was the Real Gone album, which I loved. And he came out, and he, he kind of waved to the crowd. And then after about two or three songs, he, was, he, he I'll never forget this, he goes, Hey, England. It's been 17 years, but you look good. It's like <laughs> there's three stages of life. Youth, middle age, and you look good. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good Yeah, line. and everyone's like, Wee! That's a great line. It's really, really good. He was just so charismatic, and yeah. it's a shame he never came back, but I'm so glad I got to see him at yeah. that venue because the sound was next level. That's another thing. And he'd set the, the band up great, really yeah. tight in the middle of the oh. stage. He didn't have a big stage set up. It wasn't like big amps. He set like five or six musicians round in a like a little jazz club so, circle yeah. and just did it so it was just just plug and play just yeah, yeah brilliant that. Yeah. yeah not too much of a flashy show just, yeah absolutely yeah i have it, a gig um coming up next year um on 31st of may at the um uh, kentish town forum oh right great yeah so that's a similar kind of thing for yeah. me like you know it's like i mean that that's going to be a, a massive gig that one i'm really yeah. looking forward to that yeah. so you should that, come then should come yeah on. is that a headline show yeah headline yeah. right Kentish yeah. Town Forum's great. I saw Idols play there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's great because yeah. the Bull and Gate used to be next to that as a venue. Played there as well. Yeah. And it, yeah. Well, that's long gone. But yeah, yeah. yeah. PJ Harvey played there and loads of artists yeah. played at the Bull yeah. and Gate. 
But I've all those old venues, like the Camden Underworld. And oh, the, Underworld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah. that one a few times. I once went to watch a band. Have you ever heard of a band called Skindred? No. They're like a reggae metal band from, I think they're from Newport in Wales, and they got this really cool singer <coughs> called Benji. Um, and I remember going to watch them, and they're pretty heavy. And he, yeah. but he kind of sings with a patois accent, and it's kind of like it's really interesting music. Yeah. And I stood there, and Chris Evans was stood <laughs> next to me from like the Big Breakfast. Yeah, I was just stood yeah. next to him, and I looked at him, and I was like, "What the fuck are you doing here?" Well, he's this... a massive music fan, man. Yeah, he's, he's so he's really up with uh, you know new trends and like, and he's he's a real music buff. Well, he must Chris. be. Yeah, he really uh, is. Because because I I just thought because he's of his radio show and he, he's kind of like yeah. plays a little bit more commercial stuff, and because yeah. he's so successful, yeah, and like with the, with the TFI Friday, a lot of yeah. the stuff he pushed was kind of like major label stuff, and I actually thought it was his brother in the band playing guitar, and that's why he was there because the guy on guitar was Ginger, and I thought, oh, that must be Maybe his it's bro him, yeah. brother. But I don't yeah. think it was. He was yeah, just... he's probably just a fan. He probably just knows. Yeah, him. yeah. Fair yeah, play yeah. to him. Chris Smalls is another one like that. He's like he loves his music. Really? Yeah, yeah. I've not, I've not, I've, I remember he pissed a lot of people off recently by saying that most unsigned music is shit, <laughs> and um, and the thing is. Like, I, un I understand what he said. People think he was just kind of being, um, I don't know. Facetious. <laughs> yeah, and a bit kind of contrary. Yeah. And just like being a bit dismissive. But in actual fact, mm. I think if he'd have worded it differently, in a bit, it, it was a throwaway comment. Yeah. But the fact is, I mean, with my record label, I get a lot of people sending me very undeveloped Recordings. You've got to be able to see through it, haven't you? Well, you well, see the potential. Well, you can see the potential, but there's also a lot of potential where it's like, you're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. You're not there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you then send this yeah. onto radio, they're going to think it's shit. I mean, I've yeah, had yeah. conversations yeah, with major label people who they, if you played them a demo of Wonderwall, they'd be like, sounds dreadful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't get it. And I'm like, but you're in the music industry. It's yeah, your right. Yeah. You need to see the vision and the potential. Got to hear the song. Absolutely. Yeah. So because so, it's where it starts, isn't it? it absolutely. You know, if you don't have the song, you don't have anything. That's right. But even then, some people. I mean, um, a friend of mine signed to RCA and sent the head of the label, who's basically just a guy in a suit, yeah, who's course, ruthless. Yeah. He sent him all the demos, going, "I'm really excited about signing to you." Yeah, and he's like, and his manager's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. We only send him the finished just article. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah, he, he won't get it, and he'll just no. pull the plug and pull all the money and finance out of it." It's just like, oh. I know. So I understand why Chris Moyles might have said that, being quite flippant. I, I, I missed that whole thing. Oh, really? You know, so it's interesting that if he is into music and and and, yeah. and that kind of stuff, then um. Fair play to him. So, just before we move on from the um, one and only thing, so after the fear that that had kind of peaked, and then you put out, was it a "Man Not a Boy"? Was that the? Yeah, that was the second single from from the film. Okay. So it was the yeah, it, all the it was one of those songs that I told you I wrote that one as well, but um, um, the lyrics were written by Nigel Hinton. Okay. From the film, so it was very much like still. Um, concentrating on the the songs from the film, so it was promoting the film. Right, and then once so. that that promotional <clears throat> cycle had come out, and that but it was the album called Buddy's Song Soundtrack. Yeah, original soundtrack. Isn't it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, and then that came out, and then at that point, once that album had run its course, were you? What happened with the record label after that? What happened with you post that album campaign? Um, yeah, okay, so when that was done, um, we moved on to our album two. Yeah. Um, which ended up being called Get the Picture. All right. Uh, we, and I, I, 
I concentrated uh, on working with Nick. Okay. Um, so Nick and I wrote tons of songs. Um, then we got a guy called Pete Vitesse involved. Um, and so Nick and Pete were basically the producers. Right. Nick Kershaw. That uh, is. Nick Kershaw yep. and Pete Vitesse, yeah. And so we made an album. I had a studio at this point because I, you know, did that classic pop star thing. was like, just spend money on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a car. You get a car. Yeah. <laughs> I did all that shit, you know. And, uh, and so I bought a studio and, you know, spent a freaking fortune on it. And so we recorded there. Um in fact, lots of people recorded in my studio over the years. Yeah, really? Hall & Oates. Uh, Hall & Oates? Ro yeah, yeah. Amazing. Ro Roger came down and did some stuff. Where um, was the studio? It was in Sunningdale. Yeah. Where's that? In Berkshire. Oh, so. right, 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 right. And then Robbie came and did uh, all the, the demos for the Millennium album. There, He wrote Millennium outside my studio, you know. So. Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because obviously I know those guys from years years gone. And He was huge at that point. Oh, massive at that point. Huge. Like, I mean, you know. And he, basically, my studio was built onto the side of my uh, parents' house. Okay. So Robbie came to stay with us. Right. Was it? Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, like after I remember, let, let me entertain you came out, and yeah. then he put Angels out. Oh, that and was... he just, he just became. It was just. It was so odd that he was so because it was like yeah. he wasn't your typical pop star. No, not at all. You know, he was kind of. And I understand. Well, everyone thought Gary was going to be the breakout star of, of take that. Absolutely. You know, but no. But he had a little bit more edge to him, and he was cheeky, and he gave a much better interview. And Angels really took him to the next level. He had the song. It was about the songs, you know. Yeah. They were, they were, they were good. The songs were good. I, re I remember he did, because when he played, I think, five or six nights at London Arena, which was in Docklands, and I was the squash coach. <laughs> I just, I moved, I moved to London. Oh, how funny. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or the gym on the side. So whenever they had an arena gig on... Yeah, the tennis courts behind yeah. the, the stadium, the, the, the arena were kind of cordoned off and made into like the, the backstage area. And I just remember just seeing all the, the record label Bentleys turn up in the cats in the club car park. It was just cordoned off a of VIP. Yeah. And I was just like, there's so much money here. In fact, I think. I think the Finn brothers opened for him at that show. That makes show. sense. I used to love Crowded House. Yeah. But no, Robbie. Yeah, he was he was next level, man. He was he was like probably the biggest pop star of our generation, I would say. Yeah. You know. Um, well, he signed know. that hundred million pound record deal with yeah. EMI, didn't he? Absolutely. Isn't the documentary just coming out? Right. right. Yeah, the, I think it's coming out this this week or next week. So we'll see. We'll yeah. See. Yeah. Apparently, he's been very very open and honest, and it's quite raw. And you know, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was. I mean, he was om omnipresent. He was. He was, you know. He was one of those love him or hate him type of things, but well, he, most he, people loved him. He, well, that's it. He's a Marmite character, I think. I don't know. He's Because he's always had that... He's been quite... He's got I, confidence to him. I think it's... For me, that kind of... The reason that that is, is because he's so honest and raw and real. Yeah. And, you know, some people just take it the wrong way. Well, yeah. You know? But, yeah. I think. I also think that people feel... Uh, you know, you, in when you're so successful, you should have a humility, a humility to you. Yeah. He does have humility. You see, well, he, does, he does behind, but not on yeah. in front of the camera. No, that's he's true. like this larger than life. Yeah, yeah, fucking, yeah. I that am confidence. The, I'm swaggering. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. a geezer. But when behind the scenes, he doesn't he's, strike he's me like. He's a pussy cat. He's yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I've known Robbie for a long time. I'm, I'm not, you know, we're not like busy mates or anything. But like, we we know each other well enough where I can say. Genuinely, he's a really good guy. Good. Yeah, he is. Well, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, so then you, you you set up your studio. <clears throat> you uh, finish the album with Nick. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> we could get um, going in different directions. Yeah. So we did that album. Um, and uh, I'm actually really, really proud of that record. Yeah. Um, it's, there's some great songs on there. Um, you know, uh, still with Chrysalis, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, and um, you know, there was a lot of promise there, but uh, unfortunately, the the first single didn't go. Right. And they dropped me. Right. And that was it. You After know. single one. Single one. Did they put the? But they did they put they, the record? They didn't out? even put it out. They didn't even put it out. It was it. It did relatively well in certain parts of Europe, around Europe. I think I had a, a number one in uh, Germany with the first single, and right, you know, it, it did okay. Um, did, but did, then, did, at the time, did you feel like the label kind of weren't pushing it correctly? So that's I, the reason why it didn't take. How did you? you know? I'm not making excuses for it. I don't know. Maybe maybe the, just the timing and the zeitgeist wasn't right for that kind of music. Okay. And perhaps perhaps that you know it was quite polished pop. Yeah. Um. And you know, as I said before, Nirvana had kind of kicked the doors down a little right. bit. Right. You know. Um. I, it's hard to say, and you know, I don't have any regrets um uh, at all on it, and I'm I'm kind of glad I've experienced that kind of ups and downs of Absolutely. it. You know, it's, it's all it's all good, but um. But yeah, it's one of those things. Sometimes the stars align, and sometimes they don't. Well, they, they, you know I, mean, I mean, they, they had already aligned with your first record, and you'd gone yeah. stratospheric and had a top ten in America. And yeah, I was, and I was a has-been pop star at twenty-three. <laughs> that, that, that must have been quite difficult to process, though, especially if you were yeah. kind of like getting into like Radiohead and all that kind of stuff, and you were trying to yeah. distance yourself from yeah. it. And was there a? Did you at the time feel like you wanted to sack music off, or did you? Would, Never. We, you are oh, right. You wanted to keep with the music and keep. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite a tenacious character, you know. As I, I there's always going to be knockbacks in this business, right? You know, Absolutely, it's one of, the, it's one of the, the things I always say when people say, "Do you have any advice?" You know. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, you have to be tenacious, you know, and you have to, you can't have a backup plan, you know, and uh, you, it's, it has to be all, and you have to have the passion for it. You have to live and breathe it. You have to wake up thinking about music and you can't pass the guitar without picking it up. Yeah, That's yeah, when yeah. you know you're on the right path. Yeah. You know, and so if, I always knew deep down, I always knew that I was good at what I did. Yeah. You know, I know I'm a good singer and, yeah. and I'm not being arrogant about it. I am a fucking good singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I know that I have that talent. So I, I always, I always thought, you know, I love doing it. I love music. I love writing music. I love performing. Um, and while I'm still being, you know, being able to make a, a living at it, I'm going to carry on. Yeah. So I dusted myself off after those days. And it was tough. It Ab was tough. Absolutely. Fucking hard work. Yeah. For and, a young and, person to deal with, to, for people yeah. to stop answering the phone, it's different. Yeah. I've been through it. I've been dropped yeah. from record labels and it is quite yeah. a difficult. It's hard. Yeah, because I built up a kind of what, what I would consider myself as a, 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 a kind of a family yeah. with the record company girls and stuff like that. They used, we used to, travel around with and it was like what you were saying with Robbie you know we used to have an entourage coming around and I was never as big as Robbie but like yeah. you know it's like that and then suddenly when they dropped you you can't get them on the phone anymore yeah and then you're like oh shit so none of that was real yeah yeah oh, yeah, fuck. yeah absolutely but good to know that yeah you know what I mean it's like yeah. to me I was like oh okay so so that wasn't real this is real <laughs> that's right <laughs> you know yeah 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 and, uh, and I'm really, really glad to have experienced that and realised that at a very early age, right. to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, because who knows what I'd have been like. I'd probably been an arrogant shit, you know, if I'd have carried on with that kind of success. Well, yeah. Um, 
you know, so until until the wheels fall, and, and inevitably the wheels always do seem to tend to fall off. To for most artists, you have a there's a time, isn't there? Yeah, everything's you know. Is it, time time is a weird thing that does it does to successful people, because not only is it that that, that times change and then suddenly you become uncool, which is what I think what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but your own, you, but but you yourself have to go ch- have to change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, there's preconceptions that you have to get around, and and I still have that now. So I'm defined by most people that know the name Jesney Hall. I'm defined by, you know, that year when I was 19 years old. Mm. Really, by that little tiny piece of of my life. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's like I'd, I'd like anyone to kind of you know look at at that time in their life and say, would you like to be defined by that? Yeah, well, well, <laughs> you know? but, but yeah, to, to, but the th- I, I don't know. It's like when I was that age, like I, I, I feel like I was much less precocious, and I don't know. It just feels like it it would have been a lot worse if it had been my year when I was 19 I was into like metal and punk and I was really awkward yeah. and so spotty and fucking I wasn't wearing a cool jacket with cool yeah. blonde hair like playing you know yeah. touring with Brian Adams and stuff yeah, like that sure. it's kind yeah. of and even though it's a snapshot mm-hmm. uh, it, that kind of you feel defines you and I guess it on a musical level it kind of does it but it's, it's, I think it's you're it's almost like you're part of the top one percent that have experienced this ride that mm. is the dream yeah, to go is. from kind yeah. of yeah. auditioning for a film to then having this. It's almost like a movie, like yeah, you know, it where, where yeah, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful yeah. story. Mm. But then, obviously, off the back of that, you know, it's um, it must have been hard. It must be hard to process and stuff. But I think I processed that stuff years later, Jay. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Because at the time. I remember even thinking it and saying it to people that were asking if I was okay, just like, nah, it's water off a duck's back, you know. I'll yeah. just dust myself off and get up and go again, yeah. which is what I did. Yeah. Was like I formed a band, we'll start again, kept writing, writing songs, you know. Some of them were maybe a little more bitter than they were before. Yeah. But, but, you know, years later, um, you know, when you get into your 40s even, you know, and you look back and, you know, sometimes you, you it's nice to kind of, it's good, I should say, it's not nice because it's fucking painful, is to, you know, to dig that old dusty old pebble off and, and look at it and see, yeah, actually that was a bit shit. That actually was a difficult thing to go through and you dust it off and have a proper look at it. Yeah. It's part of therapy, isn't it? And yeah, then, absolutely. You know, and you know, and I, I remember there was times, I think in my forties where I, I, where I kind of went there, yeah. went back to that. And I was like, yeah, that actually wasn't okay. No. You know what happened there. And I didn't have the support that I needed Really, I yeah. had good family around me and everything else, but but they had really they hadn't gone through that. It was yeah. like it's difficult to kind of how do you how do you relate to yeah. somebody and yeah. say, oh, you're okay, mm. but you know that song was great. Yeah. And I remember when I I got dropped from a major record deal, and I just and everybody and I, my management f- fucked me off, and oh, and it was I was getting fat, and I was like. I remember I'd go to the squash club and people were like, how's the music? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, you don't want to talk about no, it. No, and I'm just like, and they're, they're yeah. being completely sincere. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you say, it's okay. And you try and change that. And they'd be like, have you ever thought about going on X Factor? <laughs> and it's coming yeah. from the, the, a place a of good place. kindness. Oh, I used to get people who say, 
why don't you just put an, why don't you just get another record on on the radio yeah why don't you just get on tv again yeah <laughs> it's like it just it just doesn't it, work like that but no, i thank you yeah i appreciate it. i never thought about that yeah 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 <laughs> well that's it it's like it, it normally comes from a very a place of kindness yes totally yeah but, but yeah. when you're reflecting on it yeah you're like you want to just it hits go, a nerve it does it does it a nerve and it, it, you can't really just bite back you just kind of you've got to go, oh yeah cheers and yeah and it's um but the thing is this business is like you know and i've said it a few times in this in this conversation already it's like you have to have tenacity if you don't you're not you're not going to do it it's yep. not going to happen, yep. you know, and, you know, I've, I've had so many chapters over the years and, you know, I've been knocked back quite a few actually, you know, and, and I'm still doing, I'm still loving writing music. I'm still um, enjoying, you know, making music and playing live. And, you know, I've got a new album coming out next year. Fantastic. Very, very excited. I did it with Jake Gosling, um, who's, I don't know if you know Jake, he, he, he was the guy that, uh, he's an A-list producer now, but yep. he discovered Ed Sheeran. He's worked wow. One Direction. And, Amazing. You know, and uh, I mean, it's all sorts of people, KSI even, <laughs> he's, he's, he's great. So so your, your your plan for the, just moving on slightly, your plans for the yeah, next year. Because I'm actually going to have to wrap up soon. Oh, right? that's yeah, all right. Yeah, no worries. So you, your plan is you've got, an album coming out next year. Yeah. And you've got a big show at Kentish Town Forum. That's the kind of like push towards that uh, show is is like the kind of uh, launch pad for the new album, new single um, and everything else. Yeah. Great. Well, Chesney, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you too, Good mate. luck with the album and uh, the shows. And um, I'll make sure Steve gives you a copy of the album when it comes out. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll be checking it out when it comes out. Let yeah. me know and I'll, I'll give it a shout on our socials and all that. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem. Cheers, Chesney. Cheers.